welcome to episode 62 of the Massive Attack podcast. With me is Joe, and I am the host, Mitch. How are you? I'm good. Well, welcome to the next part of our A to Z. This week's episode is brought to you by the letter C. C for country music. Yeah. But not today. We're not talking about country music today. No. We should have. Yeah. That's almost as good as Catwoman. Almost. But we drew out of the magic hat. The crow. Not just the... We're going to talk about the birds. We're going all ornithological on you. Is that a word? I think so. I think I got it right. Yeah. Anyway, no, we are talking about the 1994 film The Crow, starring Brandon Lee, directed by Alex Preuss, based on the James O'Barr comic. Mm. I need a breath. You talk. <laughs> I can remember seeing The Crow yep. and being blown away by this movie. It was probably one of the most violent movies I had ever seen. Let me guess, you were getting around a black trench coat at the time? Yeah, yeah You I was. would have been loving the shit out of this. I didn't have long hair, though, I don't think. I mm. think I still had the short hair, but I was getting around in black t-shirts, black trench coat, Doc Martens, black jeans. And yeah, the, it was just the right time, right place, right attitude. Fuck yeah. Yeah. This was the perfect movie at the time for me. Because mm. I was 20, 21. Yep. I had just got into, thanks to my sister, I was going to goth clubs. So I had just discovered Nine Inch Nails and industrial music. I too was getting around in the Doc Martin boots and that sort of stuff. I never went full goth. I had grown my hair out. I had the long hair, but I never dyed it black or anything. I was I was still my mousy blonde. Did go the undercut for a little while, so I don't know if that put me in goth or I don't know what that was at the time. It was just bad choice looking back. <laughs> but I was... I was a comic fan at the time, so I knew of the comic well, before. Let's him. just take a step back there. You weren't just getting around in the black trench coat. You had the black tailored tight bodice type oh, trench yeah, coat I with the flowing t- tails, didn't I, you? I did have one of those, yes, yes. <laughs> Doesn't quite fit me anymore. It fits over the shoulders, not around the guts anymore. But yes, I did have one of those, yes. I, mm. I never had the leather trench coat, though. I could afford one. No. It's too fucking hard to wear. Yeah, and too heavy. Anyway. Yeah, I was well aware of the movie coming from the early on because I was going to the comic shops regularly, so the comic was quite well known. The comic came from I think the mid 80s it took a while to come out it was um, over a long period of time issues so I never actually got into the comic while it was coming out I did buy the trade but trade papers or graphic novels weren't a big deal I remember they were expensive and not many books got this sort of treatment this was one of the few and it was one of the few graphic novels I actually the first graphic novels I ever bought if mm. not the first graphic novel and it actually says on my copy now a major motion picture so I obviously bought it around the movie time so it wasn't like I was ahead of the game but I knew it was coming it, it's it's a, it's a very independent comic book. It's a black and white, written and drawn by the one guy. It's pretty much it's very much a passion project of one person. Okay. It's it's interesting. I mean, just flicking through it again for the first time in 20 years, it's like, oh, yeah, the artwork's pretty dynamic for what it is. It's pretty cool. I remember it being a cool comic, but it, I don't remember anything about it, if that makes any sense. Because yeah. once I saw the movie, I did not need that comic anymore. Because, no. like you said, it blew you away. It blew me away as well. Like, it was, for little Mitch, 20-year-old Mitch, it was the awakening. It felt like something like that for me. So, to quickly give a premise of the movie, if you've seen The Wraith with Charlie Sheen, the same movie. But you have a guy who is murdered, along with his fiance, and a year later he comes back from the dead and exact revenge on the people who wronged him. Pretty much that is the plot. Yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, it is the simplest of simple pots, and that's fine. And what we got is a very 
very artistic movie. I, I think Alex Proyas before, this is his first film, but I think before that he may have done a few film clips, and you can tell. Yeah, it's funny, we talk a lot about other people that have done music videos, and just the different style of doing a music video to doing a movie. And there's things in this movie, there's there's real sort of fast cuts, there's different sort of perspective sort of shots with the fact that you've got looking through the crow's eyes, and just the feel of the movie is very different. To anything I'd seen until that point. Yeah, I've obviously there's been sort of copies of this sort of style of filming since, and there's a few bits where you look at it and go, oh yeah, that's a bit like, you know, some other movies that have come later. But yeah, at the time, there wasn't a lot out there that was this full on. Mm. No, it was definitely more intense than anything I'd seen up until this point as well. Yeah. Like, it, it, I remember it being, oh my God, this is, like, the action was so good and so intense and this and that. And re-watching it again just this week... It's not as good as I remember it, as far as the direction goes, as far as how well it's directed. Now, if you want to look at a really good directed action scene, I mean, we talked about Back to the Future of Fortnite ago. That's well directed. You look at that, the skateboarding scene, yep. like, you know geography. There is nothing wrong. You know exactly what's going on in those sequences. There's no jump cutting. There's no nothing. It is perfect. You look at Spielberg, when it comes to geography of an action scene, you are never lost going, where am I at? You watch a Transformers movie, you have no idea what's going on. Like, it, it, there's, there's a knack to these sort of things. Now, this is very early in that jump cutty sort of it's not held camera like a Peter Greengrass film or anything like the Bourne movies but the cameras don't stand still very long and some of the action scenes are a bit choppy if a little bit but yeah it, it, but at the time I'd never seen anything like and it was like wow this is amazing and like I said I was in my goth phase so it was so dark and brooding and awesome and intense and all this sort of stuff now I look back I think it's a bit of a wank but see I'm the opposite I, I watched this again and I realised how much I love the movie and it kind of rekindled my love for it because like I I said with Back to the Future, I, I've seen this movie a lot, but I haven't seen it a lot recently. So going back and watching it now, it's kind of like, well, why is it taking me so long to rewatch it? Coming into the film back in 1994, though, I was probably coming at it at a different angle from you, whereas you knew about the comic, yep. so you were excited about the film. I didn't really know the story of the comic, but I was a Brandon Leaf fan. Uh, it was a showdown in Little Tokyo. And then, because of the whole tragedy involved with the filming, yep. it made it a bit more so that it was... It was and that's the thing. I mean, it, it, this was a big movie, a successful film. Now, going in, obviously, the tragedy, Brennan Lee was killed during the filming of this film. Yep. There was a scene where a blank or a... It's like a wad of... Like almost compressed, like cotton wool or something. Well, He's I in a gun, and that's what shot out, shot him in the stomach, and he died. Yeah, now I, that I obviously think happened. What actually happened is they were filming close-up scenes of the gun, and they didn't want to have a blank in the scene because looking at the the gun on film, you can actually see the bullet in the in the chamber, sort of thing, because it's a revolver. And they wanted to shoot that so it looked like a, a real bullet. And then in another scene, they didn't have the money to make blanks or something, so they made them themselves by taking the bullets apart and putting. Or taking the blast caps off or something like that and they'd fired one of these fake bullets and there was a bullet stuck in the barrel of the gun and because of the fact that the production had gone over time and they were trying to reshoot some scenes the prop master that was in charge of the guns had already left for the day so instead of having the weapons master they just had a general prop type guy come in there and go oh yeah that's fine they put the blank in the gun now, I'm not a real gun person, so I don't really understand the difference between blanks and, like, the fake bullets, but apparently a blank has the gunpowder and the fire 
firing cap so it makes the noise but it doesn't have a bullet but there's still enough kick from the blank itself mm. so normally a blank wouldn't shoot but because there was the bullet still stuck in the barrel when the blank went off it fired shot him at close range in the stomach he was rushed to hospital and died a few hours later yeah. ironically just a few weeks ago here in Australia the same thing happened to a stuntman filming a video clip in Brisbane mm. well they actually changed the rule in Hollywood after this so now there is no pointing of guns like you have to use different angles so if you're pointing at someone on screen they will do trickery so you're pointing away from the person and that you know you just got to film it correctly so this caused a bit of a hoo-ha in Hollywood and production I think it took an extra year to finish production because they had to one get over it and do we finish the film or not company that was financing originally just said no we're done another company did come in and yeah, say so let's finish it Miramax off. came in and picked mm. it up after the yeah and the said no we can finish this off and then it. early days of computer graphics to finish some of these scenes they'd use body doubles they'd use they had a mask that they made of him like they actually took a life mask off him at the time and they had one made but everyone on set after they had an act of wearing it it was just too creepy and weird and they destroyed the mask and said no we'll do it otherwise yeah. so they did it all in post-production with computer graphics like early days of and to their credit they pulled together very good movie without actually you know Hmm. It didn't. Well, it wasn't I, obvious. I think they'd filmed most of his scenes, and and they were going to go back and refilm the flashback scenes. So because of the fact that Brandon Lee died, they rejigged the script a little bit, and they made the flashback scene more of a first person almost. Hmm. Of, so I mean, yeah. to, I, I mean, I'm sure it's out there now. More of the facts of what was different and changed, but it doesn't hurt the film at all. But I remember when it came out. Obviously, there's at least a year between. It's like when Heath Ledger died before Batman. There was sort of a stigma that came out with it before. So, because it had such a goth following, so with comics and goth that I was in both those scenes, there was no way I was going to miss this movie. So I was excited anyway. Plus, you had the whole stigma that was Brandon Lee's last film. He died making a blah blah blah. There was a lot of hoo ha, especially around my age of people. Mm. So, would this be a success if he didn't die? Would the buzz have been around it just for the knowledge of knowing that it was there? It's it's a, you can never we don't know the answer. But I always wonder how if it would just be a forgotten little quirky film that Goss liked if it didn't have that history. Probably. I, I don't know. I've never really thought of it that way. But you're right. I, I think the fact that he did die and it's kind of made him sort immortal. Of a martyr. An immortal, yeah. It's put more emphasis on the film. And, and the, t- the way he died, but this is a character who dies and comes back. You know, it, it's just... Yeah, it adds more credence to the film in a weird way that you sort of go, oh, this is so... In such a goth way as well, it's so nihilistic and yeah. everything. It, it kind of falls in the same sort of trap... The fact that Bruce Lee, his dad, had died tragically, tragically not, as well, yeah. but it kind of almost falls into the whole Jeff Buckley and his dad dying, mm. the musician, and then like all the curse, and sort of yeah, sort of Bruce Lee curse, but yeah, and he was sort of on his way to become a star, and it would have been, it could have been a big deal, a half Chinese actor, you know, being a lead in films. It's not like we've got one since he was, you know, no. we've got The Rock, who's sort of African American Samoan, Samoan yeah. you know, sort of like being leads and Vin Diesel is sort of wherever he's from. Mars, <laughs> the potato factory. I don't know, <laughs> but um, you know, he was sort of getting there. I mean, he was a lead in this movie, and so that was a big deal. And so, like, who knows what he could have become? Yeah. I, it's not really a great movie to say if he's a good actor or not. He yeah. doesn't get a lot to do. Because I mean, of the it's a quick, that he's yeah, could he have become bigger? Would this movie have been a success? Would have been a breakout? You, you could know? see that Brandon Lee had a lot of charisma, mm. and the fact that he had that sort of action star. He's a good-looking guy. Yep. He probably could have gone on to be quite a big name. 
Yep. But as you say, who knows? You, you can never tell. No. So building up to this, so seeing this movie, the opening week that it came out, I saw it. Now this is, barring other films like Mad Max or Star Wars or things like that, this is the movie I've seen the most at the cinema in its first run. I saw it four times at the cinema, which is the most I've ever done for a movie. I mean, I saw The Force Awakens three times. <laughs> In its first run. I've seen Mad Max plenty of times, but that's been in subsequent viewings and this and that. But in its first run at the cinemas, this is the most I've ever gone to the movies voluntarily to go, I'm going to see that movie again. Yeah, I've probably seen it in its opening a good two, maybe three times. I can remember seeing it again in a movie marathon and it was like the midnight movie of the movie marathon and there was a lot of goths that just (laughs) turned up just for this one film, watched The Crow and then left again. But yeah, there's just something about it. And exactly that case. Watching it again i'm realizing that pissed me off when i saw it originally bailing annoys the fuck out oh yeah me. definitely and i know she's not i don't know what she's meant to be she's annoying like in general in life she's annoying <laughs> anything i've seen her in she's annoying so in this she's annoying yeah and every scene she's in just drags because she talks i like the pretty eyes yeah whatever. just shut up and when she died it was the best moment of the movie for me it's like yeah <laughs> the crowd yes, gets off. exactly yeah. Yeah. like she is terrible watching it again last night I realised and there's a bit where they go is it fire up or Valium fire up yeah. and go, fire up fire. everyone in it is an arrogant smart talking shit everybody there is not one person in this movie that's likeable I don't know I think the what's his name Ernie Hudson character just I think he's pretty he's likeable. still a wise talking he does crack a few jokes yeah and there's, he's not likeable it's not like I want to hang out with that guy all, I mean, all the bad guys are unlikable. I get that. But, but you can have fun bad guys or whatever. But yeah. they just... Everyone is a wise-talking shit. Like, everybody. Even Gideon, who shits me, who who runs the um, shop. porn shop. He's there in amongst, like, the mob boss or whoever runs the town. And he's there telling him what to do and what are you going to do about this and that. It's like... Yeah, exactly. You're like, just a minor player in this yeah, big and you're picture. That sh- everyone is the, you know, the toughest guy in the room. All the bad guys... They're bad guys. I get that. They're meant to be. But it's just like... No one is likable in this movie. Even Sarah, who you're meant to sympathise with, which is the young girl who's the friends of the two tragically killed couple. She's a wise ass. Really? See, I, I thought she was good. No, she's like, yeah, yeah, make you fart. Uh, yeah, the and onions just, and the hot dog, yeah. It's just every, everything they make is snarky. Every comment that everybody makes is snarky. And it's that nihilistic thing, and I get that. And it's very much 1994, and it is the throwback to... And the soundtrack reflects it, and who they've gone to to get the soundtrack, and the look and the feel. And it's just like, it's cool, but it's not... F- fun or likeable in that in that sense that everyone's just a snark and then and that's what i got from it it's like well just uh, shit on me shit on me i I don't understand that expression like why does gideon say shit on me a lot i mean this maybe that's what he's into (laughs) (laughs) sarah's mother dala like she's meant to be this heroin addicted woman and she's just treats her daughter like shit then he goes and says some stupid quote from a poem and draws the drugs out of her arm and then she can cook eggs the next morning badly yeah. yeah it's just like it's just shit it's a shitty world <laughs> like the bo- the cop bosses you know. well it is it's obviously a shitty world it's set in Detroit for one thing it's set on Devil's Night the night before Halloween where all these like, you know mobsters and just general gangs and stuff go around burning buildings for the yeah. hell of it well not for the hell of it they're trying to get people out of the property so yeah. they're going to take over but, but yes, yes 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 yes. well he does mention at the start that they just did it to start with as a bit of a thing and then mm-hmm. everyone copied them and it's like yeah they got greeting cards it, yeah it's, but see I really love Michael Wincott the bad guy yes. character well it's the first time I've seen him in anything 
and he he stood out like he really uh, Brandon Lee was fantastic I always like Ernie Hudson anyway and he was amazing he seemed really cool like he had that voice and the look and everything like that yeah his voice especially is what I think gives him the character and the fact that he's pretty cool looking in that outfit the long hair yeah and the fact I mean the thing is you've got Tony Todd playing off him who's got one of the iconic voices in Hollywood and then you've got his his voice overpowers him I can remember seeing another movie I, I can't remember the name of it now but Michael Wincott and Lance Hendrickson are in the movie together okay. and it's kind of like who's got the better voice in the movie but yeah other people in this movie though we've got David Patrick Kelly plays T-Bird who's kind of like the gang leader yeah. who was in The Warriors and Twin Peaks so he's quite an iconic actor himself he's the guy in The Warriors that play I think he, Luther is the character yeah. that he plays mm-hmm. and he's the guy that gets to say Warriors come out to play like you, you can't get much better than that no but yeah I don't know I, I don't really know if you would say that everyone in this movie is not likeable like I think I mean they're not meant to be likeable no obviously. they're evil they're, they're, bastards but yeah I think is it what's his name Tintin Tintan oh you know the shit out of me it's really I think leather I leather think. <laughs> and then he like close the gate on the way out <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah master oh, oh, just, see oh. I like him I think he's a really good character because the fight scene he has at the end it's just coming out oh don't play with no it's just when he says oh these are my babies my knives and I never miss and yeah. then he misses like three times in a row and it's like well obviously you're not that good I mean, I mean just, they all get their comeuppance and they're all coming across as arrogant wankers but you've got the guy who, who playing T-Bird he's in charge of the gang but he should be more dominant they all need more character but they don't it's almost like everyone wrote the script for the same character like they all have that same amount of snark the same amount of arrogance about them they're almost one note or it's almost like they were written for they're interchangeable the the snark and I keep saying snark just the arrogance of each character it could be any of them saying the lines and it's exactly the same the only the one guy he sends in to get road beers skank he's the only one who's like different and he's annoying as well but very then, Mad Max but then he well yeah he is very much but then he gets his snarky line as well in the scene where Brandon Lee comes into the gangster meeting and shoots up the whole room and kills everyone and then grabs skank and you know he's like oh I'm gonna kill you skank sort of thing and mm. skank turns oh, around skank. and goes yeah no skank skank's dead over there but, but I just felt they were all a bit one notey this time around like Visually, they have a different look about them, but they all sort of seem the same sort of... Yeah. But it doesn't take away, and that's the thing. There's a lot of things that annoy me with this film, especially Bayling. That's where it sets it up. But I still don't hate the film. Absolutely love the film. <laughs> yeah. So that's what, that's how good it is. And it's very much the aesthetic, and particularly, and I'm sure you'll agree with me on this one, the soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack's phenomenal. Yeah, I, except I there's think, two tracks on there that should. I was going to say, there's probably a couple of tracks on the end that aren't that good. Yeah. But... Like that ballady girl bandy thing. That's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't realise at the time, but I, there's a lot of covers on that soundtrack. The oh, Nine really? Inch Nails song is a cover of a Joy Division song. Okay, well, the James O'Barr, he wrote a lot of it's a tribute to Joy Division. Like every chapter break in the comic is a Joy Division song lyric or okay. a title is a song yeah. lyric or a title of a song. Yeah, he's a big Joy Division fan, so that makes a lot of sense. But um, yeah, I remember the, like, the song from The Cure. And The Cure, he loved Joy Division, The Cure, and something else. Yeah. And the fact that The Cure did an original song for it, they were wrapped. You know, he was so happy for that. And it's such a good song it's probably my favorite cure song because i've listened to the soundtrack so much yep. but it, it's a good soundtrack song as well in the fact that it, it evokes a narrative to me it evokes and, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's got that perfect feel for that bit of the movie with you can't help but visualize the build-up yeah and yeah. and that's when brandon lee's putting on the makeup for and the, the first time yeah, yeah and he's suiting it, up and exactly suiting up and the fact that the song kind of builds to the point where there's a, a crescendo and yeah. Brandon Lee punches the mirror and it just yeah it just all works and yeah you can't help but feel something listening to the song again like yeah. that soundtrack is so good except for those couple of tracks that are yeah. just oh you but they're, they're really just throwaway bits in the movie as well they're, they're more your typical 
there's two seconds of this song in the movie, so we have to put it on the soundtrack. Is it songs so from and inspired or I something? Isn't it? Isn't there oh, well, a couple of songs on the soundtrack that aren't in the movie? I think one of them, the one that you don't like, is in the end credits. Mm. And it's not even the start of the end credits. It's like when you've already been rolling for a while and then they change the song in the credits type song. Yep. And it's yeah, some girl singing the It Doesn't Have to Rain All the Time that was the, the, the band that yeah. Brandon Lee's band was in. But there's the scene with... My Life from the Thrill Kill Cult, where they which play is, after the flesh, yeah. which is in that big shootout scene, and they're playing live in the goth club downstairs. Now, that shootout scene, at that point, was the coolest action scene I've seen. Now, when he was saying, I was comparing it to the Spielberg or whatever before, this was not like nothing I'd seen by this point. So, we're talking quick jump cuts, he's jumping around, he's firing guns, he's shooting guns sideways, he's in the air shooting. Now, this is before I'd seen a lot of Hong Kong cinema, I hadn't it's funny, seen John yeah, Woo. First thing you said there, I was thinking, it reminded me a little bit of Hard Boiled. Mm-hmm. But at that stage again, yeah, I hadn't but seen... But John Woo before. does it to... I think John Woo's a better director now. Yeah. But at the time, that was cool, but John Woo never did it to My Life of the Thrill Kill Cult. No. sound accompaniment, he would have done it to classical music. That's what John Woo would have done. So, this was just awesome. Like, sensory overload for the music, especially at the cinemas. The soundtrack yep. was huge. He's jumping around. And it still is a well-cut scene now today. I yeah. think a, a lesser director would do a butcher job with it, and you'd probably get away with it modernly. And modernly. It, today. Yep. You'd probably get away with doing a lot less. So, I think thing is craftily done this is what i thought i was seeing when i first saw the matrix for the first time when you're seeing bullet time this was the equivalent back then yeah like before the matrix i watched this going oh my god this is mind-blowing seeing the matrix like so many years later it's like this is mind-blowing so it's not as mind-blowing as it was but it still is cool but it also you associate it with the time of the movie what's happened the intensity of it and like i said no one's likable in this film so it's grisly you're watching this thing and it's cool like a lot of it's cool like he looks cool everything he does is cool but you get to this point and it's a relief because he's he's letting go. Yeah, you, they, you've been pent up watching this whole thing for a long time, so you finally can go, yeah, fuck yeah, don't. Yeah, so yeah. A, a table full of bad guys fills him with bullets, and he just gets back up and just basically says, well, fuck you, you're yeah. gone now. And, and then he takes him out, and back. it's just such a cool moment. And as I said, it, it was probably the most violent scene in a movie I'd seen before that. I can't there's think There's not of, a lot of blood in it, to be honest. No. You don't see anything. It's, it's, it's just not bullets that flying and people falling over. Yeah, you don't see a lot, it but it's just well done. Since then, I think, obviously, there's been a lot more violent movies mm. than this. I, I think a few years later, when the Daredevil movie came out, there's a scene in Daredevil that I think kind of rivals this, as far as the guns and stuff. There's Prior to this in Showdown Little Tokyo, I think it was. Actually, no, it's the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. There's a bit in that where he falls into a casino with like a machine gun and just destroys everybody. And yeah, you just don't see scenes like this sort of at that time. Obviously, there's, there's gunfights in movies since, but it, it really was a scene where it's just blown away but and so, the music yeah like I've never seen it before and i never heard My Life of the Thrill Cop before so that music I mean yes I was getting into that alternative music and industrial music and you could compare it to a Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that White Zombie or yeah, yeah. but just putting it all together was just great and loving the soundtrack so much loving that song was probably my favourite song on the soundtrack because just the intensity and everything of it and the speed of it I'm like oh this is awesome I went to Gaslight Records do you remember Gaslight Records I do yes they were a, sort of an import they were a, a, a boutique record store yeah I mean, hard to end, get out stuff. top end of Burke Street in Melbourne mm. had Naked Day every year did they they had a day when you go in naked as you do but <laughs> so you go in there and say have you got any CDs <laughs> CDs nuts <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so I went in and there was a... 
Oh, Naked Day? No. no, I never went on Naked Day. And I got a My Life of the Trick or Cult CD because it was nothing at JB Hi-Fi at the time or anything like that. And that was $33 for memory, which seemed like a lot at the time. But nowadays, eh, it wasn't that bad. I got it home so excited thinking, I'm going to have a whole album of this. Not one good song on it. What a shame. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> oh man. I don't know if it's like that was a unique song for them and whatever, but I just, I tried, I think once or two, maybe three times at the most to listen to the CD going, yeah. Come on, nah. Doesn't live up to Didn't it. do it, never listened to it again. It's funny that watching that scene again, it made me really want to go back to those sort of days of going to those goth clubs, oh, yeah. listening to that sort of music. Because, yeah, for a, for a long time in the 90s, that was my weekends. Mm-hmm. And that scene where, and even before when they first go to the nightclub trash, good name for a nightclub, <laughs> when they go there and the other band's playing that has that's the female lead singer, that's, yeah, that's a shit it's not as good. But that's just the feel of the club, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I remember those days. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought a good time. Exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, Nine Inch Nails got a great song in there as well. Like, it's very similar to the Cure song for me. Yeah, so as, as I said before, that Nine Inch Nails is the, the Joy Division But it cover. sounds like a... Yeah, it, it sounds like a Nine Inch Nails song. And yeah. It just evokes that emotion and feeling of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, when I hear it, I can't help but feel that film in that way. Yeah. And there's a Stone Temple Pilot song, I think, that's mm-hmm. quite good. So, uh, it's, it's just a really cool soundtrack that works together with this movie. And like I said, I've got problems with it now, but doesn't matter it's still that damn good and one of the things that makes it so good is the style or the direction now it looked like no other film i'd seen up until this point either now there was a lot of model work there's a car chase bit now you're watching it on dvd you can see the two little model cars it's like wow that didn't notice that before but yeah you've got like the city as models and the cameras patrolling through it and really effective done the look of the crow was amazing now that comes straight from the comic where it's a guy in leather pants tight top and drama makeup yeah it's the it's like the a comedy panel. drama. Yeah. Those masks sort of thing. And it just looks so good. And now I read two bits of trivia, so I don't know if it's true. One was the makeup was done every day and he was spent four hours in the makeup chair or two hours or something like that. And another one was he wasn't happy with the way the makeup looked, so he did it himself the night before and slept in it and then got up for that weathered look. So I like that as a story. I don't think it's true, though. It just, he looked good. Like the dirty black hair or the greasy sort of long hair the makeup which was not caked on it it was you know it was yeah exactly it was fairly not yeah pancake makeup yeah it was worn in so as opposed to the wrestler sting that sort of did the crow gimmick a few years later where his makeup was white pancaked on whereas Brandon Lee kind of looked like he just wiped it on and only had one layer and and as he went out in the rain it it washed away yeah and he looked cool so he had a tight like lycra top on and leather jeans leather pants and like his dog mountains or whatever undone Undone. that was cool they don't really highlight it but because he gets shot up a few times and this and that but he heals but as he gets more and more shot up he actually adds more to his costumes like he's been shot in the stomach and stuff like that so he's got rope and gaffer tape holding it yeah. together and things like that and it just looks cool like they don't highlight it they don't look at me I'm doing this thing it just his look changes as the movie progresses and it just looks awesome and there's a bit like the Gideon scene where he goes to the pawn shop I didn't realise I always remember the scene really good but I read the trivia today when he wants his engagement ring and he finds it but what he does he grabs a shotgun and he pulls oh, all, he the rings, all the rings yeah. rings down the shotgun and he shoots at the camera and all the rings come out at the camera I always remember that scene I think it was really cool it's actually superimposed another scene he did shots of the rings falling towards camera and he put it over the top which really effectively done yeah it it makes it look more realistic than obviously CG well there would have been no CG back then but yeah it was just little things like that were just really really cool and it just look great like it felt like a big film it felt like a surreal film in a way like it it built its own world visually it was obviously very small sets because there was no big 
vistas or anything. It was all quite claustrophobic in a way. Hmm. Even the city felt claustrophobic because it was dark. There was no daytime scenes, is there? Uh, is there? No, I don't think there I is. I don't think there is. No. It's like perpetual darkness in this one. Yeah. I mean, well, you go and watch Dark City, which is Alex Preuss's next film. <laughs> and you can sort of get a feel of... He's got a visual look to him, and, and that's really cool. Yeah, so everyone had a look. Like, Tintin, the bad guys, they had a look. His Fun Boy kind of had his look. Yeah, and a lot of it came from the comics. Like, if you go and look at the comic, it's not true, but there, there's a lot of paying tribute to it. It's like, yeah, that's definitely there. And, yeah, full credit, it shouldn't have worked. To lose your actor partway through, it's an ambitious project. But, yeah, to pull together everything he has. Unfortunately, Alex Preuss has lost it a bit since because he made his most recent film was what Egypt Gods and Monsters which was badly reviewed and he out there was having a go at all the reviewers and this and that and everyone sort of go just pull your head in Alex make a good film don't have a go at the reviewers I think he was sort of telling him it's like you don't know what a good film is you're just reviewers you're this and that it's like yeah well no it's all your film <laughs> in the end it was sort of like just, just shut up Alex he's obviously not that nice a guy because he's made some good films like Dark City is really really cool oh, unfortunately it came out the same time as Matrix so very similar and obviously Matrix was groundbreaking in yeah. a lot of ways Garage Days, he came back to Australia to make a bit of a film. Knowing he came back to Australia with Nicolas Cage, never a good mix. But iRobot, I think, is a really good film. I think visually and narratively, it's just really cool. I have issues with iRobot, but that's to do with his Converse runners that he buys. Other than that, it's well, we talk about product placement. <laughs> you're talking about a future movie, and you've got to get money somehow, and you got to do product placement. That was really shoehorned in. No pun intended. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm a retro guy. I like my classic Converse, all, yeah. Converse All Stars. Yeah, that was that was shit. Uh, saying talking about product placement, though, is watching the crow and looking at with that you know, really critical eye after seeing Back to the Future yeah. and those other movies, there's not a lot of product placement in the crow. Not that I can tell you. Not that I remember seeing any, no. No, there's, there's nothing that really jumped out. So, yeah, that's one good thing for it. Road beers that are brand. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think they, they showed the brand of potato chips that he's eating. Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing. It's those sort of character moments that they're not real people. And that's what I found. Like, he's in there, go get some road beers and this. No one talks like that. Really? You've no. never gone to a 7-Eleven to buy road beers and no, but, chips? No, uh, but that's the thing. There's people having conversations, but no one talks like that. It, it, it just felt like people are saying things. They're, it's not real conversations conversations and it's I guess like, the other the other scene when you kind of have the establishing shot of them in the bar where they're doing shots it, it's not a real conversation that people have yeah swallows yeah. the bullet and then they all pull knives and guns yeah. on each other and stuff it, yeah it just came yeah. across it this is theatrical but it's not real and it, I know it's not real, it's a movie. But I, I just felt fake. Yep. Like everything is sort of like, no one acts this way. No one Like, he's in there, he had to buy some beers and some snacks for the road. And he's got the chip packet ripped open ridiculously and he's just scoffing just it in. It's like, chips, yeah. no one eats like that. Yeah. No one, you're, you're, you're being told to be, you know, you're gone in as this bad person. You're, you're disruptive, you're, you're chaos in a way. And it's like... It's not, and maybe I'm looking too much into it for what it is. But but then, now that you say that, the gang themselves don't come across like a gang. They just look like four individuals that hang out and do crime together. Mm, There's there's nothing. But all the conversation they have, especially um, T Bird, he talks in sentences that no one would say. They just don't come across as like the Michael Wincott character is the only one who seems to be able to say sentences that sound like real sentences that humans say. Everybody else seems like Bailey, particularly, but everyone else, they just say lines, and they just they're meant to sound profound or something like that or snarky or tough but they don't sound conversationally or like something a real person would say and that's what I got out from this time watching it going 
It just feels really weird. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, saying all that, when they all die, you're, you're wrapped. Because, yeah. one, you don't like them, but they're evil bastards. And you go, yes, you, you finally got your revenge, and well done. That's great. And it just wraps up really nicely. And it's like, you could easily have tried to make a franchise out of this. If he survived, well, would they have done it? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get onto that later. <laughs> but, you know, would Brandon Lee have continued on? Would they have gone and made more? Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the fact that I didn't know the source material well enough meant... I was quite happy with the fact that, you know, the the crow came, Eric rose from the grave, became the crow, got his revenge on the people that killed him and his fiancée, and then once everyone was dead, he could quite happily go back to his grave and, and see Shelley again. Yep. I, I think that was well enough. They, yep. They've done that. That's all they need. Yep. Like, we didn't go back to see Ernie Hudson to find out if he lived from his gut shot. Yep. And you didn't need to because it wasn't his movie. It was mm. Eric Draven's movie. Yep. And, yeah, it was just compact in its own as-is story. Yeah, Peter, there's a couple of sequels in it. (laughs) (laughs) It is. But the sequels are different Well, I have seen the second one. I've seen City of Angels. That's the second one. I have the script for City of Angels right here. (laughs) Because I went to Sydney and I found a shop that sold scripts. And I love The Crow so much, I bought the script. And this was four months before the City of Angels came out going, I'm getting ahead of the curve. I'm going to buy the City of Angels script because that's how much of a fan I am and this is going to be the greatest thing ever. You were wrong. I was wrong. (laughs) Yes, City of Angels from memory... I saw it the once, never bothered again. It just felt even more style over substance. Oh, and there was no yeah. substance whatsoever. Only and even the, the style, it didn't have the coolness of the first one. It just didn't have the soundtrack of the first one. didn't have the feel oh. of the first one. I don't remember it anyway. I, I've got I've got it on DVD, and I have the soundtrack CD. Yep. The soundtrack has Hall's version of that Stevie Nicks song, mm-hmm. which, God Dust Woman, yep. which I think is an awesome cover. Yep. But as far as the rest of the soundtrack goes, I don't think it's as good. Yep. And as far as the movie itself, I don't think... I have taken that DVD out of its packet more than once since I've owned it. Well, in the first one, there was two bits where he had the crow, where he did the crow symbol in blood after he killed one of them. Yep, and he killed Tintin. And he did the flame after he killed Tintin. But you saw him with a lighter fluid making it in the snow and setting fire to it. Yep. And in the second he, one, he I remember there, were, that but there was, weren't there crow motifs everywhere in the second one, yeah. but for no real reason, <laughs> just sort of like there were things. Yeah. yeah. I just remember hating it because I had such high expectations and high desires for what I wanted out of that film. It didn't hit any of them. And yeah, I was angry because I bought the script. I bought the book. I've got both books here. I've got the Crow and the Crow City of Angels book. The only good thing about the Crow City of Angels book is they've got some graffiti they invented an alphabet for. And I used to go around with fake tattoo and I had a friend draw my initials on in this fake crow alphabet and no one else knew what it was talking about look really cool in my armor I'm sure people did know no. I'm sure there was other crow fans out there no, that really did I, just but, saying, but I yeah. sound like a wanker saying that but that's okay <laughs> you are a wanker I know they, they went on to do a TV show as well yes was that the one heaven. with Michael, Michael Landon no a different stairway to heaven yeah, so that was the one with Mark Dukakis, Dukakis, Dukakis yeah. who was a, another martial arts And he looks actor. a lot like Brandon Lee, so that actually works. And, and he's I playing can, Eric Draven in that one. So that I can works. remember seeing episodes of that and thinking it wasn't too bad, but again, it just wasn't the same. Never saw it. So we had The Crow in 94, City of Angels in 96, Crow Salvation with Kirsten Dunst apparently in 2000, and The Crow Wicked Prayer in 2005 with Tito Ortiz. Really? Yeah. So I've not seen anything past City of Angels, yeah. and the TV show was with, I forget what year that was and they are flogging a dead horse well there was talk that they were going to do a remake fairly recently with Jason Moama playing the crow and Nick Cave apparently really there's still talk so that's not not happening Hmm. It, there is talk. It's not It's not that there was talk of. They, they are planning on Still making it. Nick Cage writing the screenplay, apparently. Hmm. Okay. But, again, will it live up to the original? 
and I don't think it will. This is Jason Momoa after Justice League comes out and after Aquaman comes out. So he should be an A-list actor by that point, you know. So he's bringing A-list, you know, we're not talking Mark, De- Mark DeCascus here. We are talking an A-list actor. Hopefully. So are we bringing an A-list budget? Are we talking A-list marketing? Nick Cave writing a script. That gives it some sort of credo to the goths, but that's not a lot of money. We're talking we want to make a movie. So it could be interesting. I mean, I, I was going to say we don't need another crow. We've got one. But it's like, well, it's been 20 years. Yeah. Maybe. And nothing wrong with the old one. I went back and watched it. It's great. <laughs> So, but give me a new one, see what happens. Like, I mean, I just want a visionary director with a great soundtrack. That's all I want. You know, it's not that hard. So, I don't know. But yeah, so I've never, yeah, you watch a TV series, but never bothered with. Have you seen any of the other sequels? No, I didn't even know there was the four sequels. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of gave up after the TV series. I, I can remember someone bought me, I think it's the pilot of the TV series on DVD. Mm-hmm. And there was obviously someone that didn't know me that well. They bought me this DVD for a Christmas or birthday present. And they're like, oh, you're a big fan of The Crow. You must love this. And I was like, mm, thanks. <laughs> but yeah, he was, Brandon Lee as The Crow was iconic. Yep. The character of The Crow, obviously the fact that, as I mentioned before, Sting the Wrestler took that look. He went from being, you know, a blonde flat top to growing his hair out, dyeing it black, wearing the makeup, the trench coat, carrying the baseball bat, just looking awesome. And as a big wrestling fan, it's hard for me to separate the yep. crow and Sting's crow type gimmick. I can also remember one of the first expensive action figure toy display type toys that I bought was a crow figure. Yep. And it's that sort of skinny standing, sort of funny sort of standing with a crow on his shoulder. Yep. And I can remember I had that for quite a long time, but I can't remember I, why. I had a sting figure because there were no crow <laughs> figures at the time so I bought this he looked like he was made of dough like it was this <laughs> there was this pudgy round sort of figure that if you push a button on the side he vibrated because that's what wrestling figures should do I guess but it was like him in the crow geek gimmick and it was sort of like yeah that was the closest thing I had to a crow figure so well, I bought this this wasn't figure. really a figure it was more of a statuette Statue? but, and I think I paid Staction figure I, I think I paid about a hundred bucks for it Ooh, ouch you were a fan I was it, it was iconic yeah and I think I probably gave it to my flatmate because I can't remember what happened to it. Yeah. That's funny because I went to like goth nights and things like that back then, and there was, there was, I remember one where there was all these goths there and they're in full regal and this and like, and there's one guy who was there in the full crow getup. He had the leather pants, he had the gaff tape and the rope around it, and he just brooded in corners the whole time. He didn't talk to anyone, he didn't dance, he didn't anything. He just sort of looked intense the whole time, and just sort of go, "You were a wanker, wanker." But that's Did- most people have got. <laughs> <laughs> Did he sit cross-legged? No, he was standing and. Going back to the movie again, the bit in that gunfire scene where they shoot him and he gets up and he's kind of all in one motion, jumps onto the table and then sits down cross-legged. I love that scene. <laughs> and that's the thing, the physicality he got out of it. He did the nip up, like from the ground, he nips up onto his feet and things like that. And because Brandon Lee was a martial artist. Yeah, so he, he had a physicality that we really hadn't seen in Hollywood films. Hmm. So there was a lot of things we hadn't seen before. That soundtrack, never heard anything like it in a Hollywood picture. No. Those sort of actions, I'd never seen anything like it before in that sort of feature. So it was it was just cool. For me at that time, you could not make a cooler film. No. It was just the right film at the right time for little old Mitch, little old wannabe goth Mitch. And I was like, yeah, this is, someone understands me. You know, it was, yeah. you felt like, oh, this is a movie for me, which we've talked about plenty of times, different yeah. films like Clerks and this and that. But as good as they are, you watch your Terminator 2s or you watch your Wayne's World and this and that. And they're broad movies that are popular and they're very good. But it's like, no, this is niche. Mm. It, yeah, it's funny because I, I remember when we did our quintessential 90s movies episode, we kind of tossed up the idea of whether we should put the crow in 
there, but I think we decided that it wasn't quite 90s enough. It's 90s as fuck. (laughs) But it's funny because you say it's the coolest movie around. For me, I think it was the coolest movie until probably Pulp Fiction came out. And then, for me, I think Pulp Fiction overtook it. Well, in a different way, but again, Pulp Fiction's kind of broad. It's a broader audience. It's not as niche as this. This isn't goth soundtrack, goth view, you know, vision, goth goth costumes. You know, the Pulp Fiction is cool. And, And being a wanky film guy now, I watched... Only recently, and I would agree with you about Pulp Fiction, but watching Wild at Heart only in the last couple of years blows that away. As good as Pulp Fiction is, I think Wild at Heart is even cooler. Because it's Nicolas Cage. Good Nicolas. Yeah. Yeah. But I think think it's better. Yeah. So Mitch has actually just dug into a box of tricks that he has here in the studio. Now, this jacket you mentioned, I bought... From Morticia's. I don't think it exists anymore. It's a, It was tailor-made for me. They measured it. It cost a stupid amount of money because that's what Morticia's did. They sold a lot, but they sold goth clothing. And Were they in some little arcade in the They city? were, yes. Yep. And I actually bought this. Oh. It's a brooch. Yep. You describe it. All right. So it's a pewter, probably? Yeah. A pewter Brandon Lee <laughs> laying prone. Oh, standing. It's, oh, it's, that's yeah, probably standing. a statue you had. It probably was, actually. With the leather pants and his boots on the outside and his tape around his middle. That, that's a pretty cool brooch. Yeah. You should wear that again now and see if anyone notices what it is. I should. On what? I don't wear stuff like that anymore. It doesn't go with my Hawaiian shirts. No. <laughs> it's funny, though, because you do see the occasional sad goth around now. You don't see happy goths ever. No, you? you never see happy goths, but you see even more sadder goths that never really grew out of the 90s goths. This is like my goth box I'm looking at. <laughs> But yes, I don't know. It, for a time and place, definitely this was the movie of 1994. Oh, fuck you. And Especially I, for us. Yeah. And I don't think you could ever show this movie to someone now and have them have the same appeal that it did then. I think the intensity is there. I think it still feels modern enough pacing wise. Like it doesn't slow down terribly much. It rolls along at a really good pace. Hmm. But it's like a lot of things, like Easy Rider. At the time, it was a rebellious film. And this isn't rebellious, but it is sort of to a point. It's it's counterculture in a lot of ways, because you, you are seeing gothic, the goth scene on a big-budget Hollywood film. You never saw that before. But it's like seeing, you know, Easy Rider was seeing the biker scene. Well, you know, the stone yeah, the stone bikers. Yeah. It is dated to a point, but I think it's it still holds up quite modern to a modern film, where City of Angels, even when it came out, felt dated from memory. I hated it. Like, yeah, I hated it, but I don't remember <laughs> it being good. Like, there was nothing about it that goes, oh, that's kind of cool at least. I don't remember any of that. It was, it was all this attempted style and nothingness. Yeah, and no substance to back it up. Well, that's probably... A- enough of the crow there was a lot of nostalgia there to make me happy again for 1994 and i, I don't think we can finish this episode without putting my life with a thrill cool cold after the flesh as the end song so that has shitty insipid song no. <laughs> can't rain all the time no no, no, no it definitely has to be my life with a thrill cool cold okay well that's let us see yep it was fun watching the crow again i was happy to see it again and it was very reminiscent to sit down and talk about the crow in the time so yeah Hopefully you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you have any feedback for us, jump on our Facebook. We are facebook.com slash the Massive Attack Podcast. 
if you want to defend City of Angels, tell us that it's actually good. Or we should have checked out that 2005 Crow sequel thingy. Yeah, maybe there's a, a massive contingent of Kirsten Dunst fans that really likes you know, her version of the Crow. Well, we have got D next month. Mm. We might get Dunst. Maybe we will. Maybe I'll put it in the hat a couple of times. All right. Well, who knows what's going to be in the hat for next month, well, but yes. A lot of things start with D. What's the D stand for? D's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, we will wrap up C. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with Dave. Thank you, Mitch. See you later. I am the new way to go. I am the way of the future. I am the new way to go. I am the way of the future. There's a lot of innocent people being crucified.